Our uh, scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter, uh, the first chapter, verses 3 through 9. Uh, if you want to follow along in the uh, Pew Bible, it starts at page 1014. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you reading that for us. If you have a copy of uh, the scriptures, let me encourage you to turn to that text that was just read for us in First Peter. That will be that will serve as our uh, text for today's sermon. This is uh, week four of a four-week series uh, that we start the year off with. Often. I'd like to start the year off with a short uh, sermon series that will kind of just uh, give us something to aim for and uh, throughout the year. And, and then we talked in the annual meeting, and you'll be seeing more of this and hearing more of this as the days and weeks and months go by, but about uh, the math of 2022, where we talked about uh, subtracting distractions, adding healthy habits and people, and... Uh, we talked about multiplying disciples and divide and conquer. So you'll hear and see more about that uh, throughout the year. Uh, so these are some of the themes that we're introducing for 2022. But one of the things that we wanted to do for the last few weeks is, is this idea of serving God out of uh, joy, uh, out of a sense of delight, rather than a sense of obligation or drudgery or duty. Now before I dive into the sermon, there's one thing I wanted to say just as a, a way of introductory remarks so about emotions. And what I don't want to have happen after this sermon series is, or I, what I don't want to communicate throughout this sermon series, is to say that there's like one level of emotion that we should always be at, right? Or, and if we're not, you know, totally joyful all the time, then we're in sin, okay? That's not what I'm trying to communicate with this. Now, it is true that the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So we, we need to have that in our lives. But the reality is, is that God often uses uh, times of discouragement or times of uh, you know, difficult things in life as well to teach us some of the, the most powerful lessons that we will have in our lives. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I just want to make sure as I was thinking about the sermon series, I didn't want to communicate that we got to be happy clappy the entire time, right? Okay? And that if, if you're always, you know, if, if, if you have any sort of uh, discouraging thought or anything like that, well, then you've just totally blown it. That, that's not what I'm trying to communicate. But what we are trying to communicate through this and these texts of scriptures that we've been showing from John 15 and other passages and today in First Peter is this idea of that if we are truly Christians, 
there should be a stream and a thread and a, a pushing towards joy. And when we serve God, it's not out of obligation that we do it. It's actually out of joy. So in the first sermon, seri- first sermon of the series, we said that we need to be in awe of Jesus, right? And then in the second sermon, we said that we need to be thankful for Jesus. And then last week, we talked about abiding in Christ or abiding with Jesus from John 15. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about uh, a concept that is in this text here that I believe is incredibly important to us uh, understanding and appreciating and really experiencing true joy in the Christian life. And that is the subject of mercy. And so if I was going to summarize it, this is how I'd summarize it today, is uh, uh, understanding mercy is the path or, or part of the path to inexpressible joy. I mean, inexpressible joy comes right from the text here, and so does this subject and concept of mercy. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about mercy and understanding it and understanding how it relates to joy. So, but let me pause and ask God's blessing on this time, and, and uh, so grateful for the extra singing and listening to you sing, and uh, so grateful for all the work the, the musicians put into those extra songs and um, uh, and now we get to feast on the Word for a few minutes, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper. So uh, looking forward to a good rest of the day together here. Let's pray. Father, I just want to ask your blessing now. Uh, we've sang many songs to you and um, in appreciation of you, and hopefully out of a spirit of love uh, for you. Um, Lord, I pray that what we've just sang will be true in our hearts, and that you would use those songs to minister to our souls. But now as we've opened the word here, uh, this is your word and we want to treat it very respectfully and cautiously. And so as I communicate for the next few minutes about this text that we've opened to that the Apostle Peter wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that I would only communicate what you have for us and what would be true to this text, right? Uh, I, I, I want to make sure that what I say is clear and, and helpful. And I can't do that on my own. Um, I need your grace. I need your enablement. I need your mercy, uh, the subjects that we're talking about here. Uh, We really need your Holy Spirit to remove distractions from us right now and to help us to focus in on these uh, few minutes together in the Word of God. And and we're so grateful. We're grateful that we can do this today. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. All right. So um, we talked about understanding mercy is the path to inexpressible joy. So in order for us to, to, uh, to dive into the subject of mercy, there's really, we have three main points today. And the first one is pretty uh, basic, right? But I want to talk about, do we really understand the concept of mercy, okay? Now, some of you are like, well, yeah, of course, you know, I've grown up in church, you know, I, I went to Sunday school, you know, not today you didn't. But, uh, you know, but the point is, you're like, yeah, I know all this stuff, or I went to Awana, or, or the children's ministry, or something like that, group and youth group, or whatever. Of course, I understand mercy. Well, yes, you probably do, or maybe you're a little confused about what it may mean, because sometimes when I start talking to people, when I ask what mercy is, they give me a definition for grace, actually, okay? Or when I ask about what grace is, they may be giving me the definition for mercy. Sometimes those are easily confused. And so let me just take a second and just kind of explain what the Bible teaches about mercy, okay? Just for a few minutes. That way there, as we're walking through this text, and it'll be really helpful to us in that. Simply put, if we're going to give a basic definition of mercy, is that mercy is not getting what we deserve, right? 
okay? And so this is as opposed to grace. Grace, on the other hand, is when we get something that we do not deserve, okay? That's grace, okay? So, you know, after the service, my friend Ben here, he's going to give me $1,000, right? Okay, because he's a gracious guy, okay? All right? And so that's grace. I didn't deserve it, right? Okay, but he's going to give it to me. Okay, no, but, but the point is, right, you know, like if he were to do that, and he's not, but if he were going to do that, because I know him so well, he's not, let me try, let me tell you, and so uh, he, 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 that would be just a pure act of grace on his part, right? I haven't done anything to deserve that, right? I mean, I'm not related to the guy, um, he doesn't owe me anything or anything like that, so that is pure grace, okay, now, I, I, I'm spending time on that so you understand that the opposite about mercy. Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve, okay? And so if we're, you know, we break a law or we violate a command or something like that, then there's punishment associated with that crime, right? And so if we don't get it, what we truly do deserve, then that is called mercy. And so it's really important that you understand the distinction between those two uh, key uh, theological terms. Now, what does the Bible teach, though, about uh, getting what we deserve? And, you know, it started back in the Garden of Eden, and, and, and you, you've heard me say this, and I go through this often in my sermons, and I do it intentionally. When I say, it started back in the Garden, but they had one rule to follow, right? And one rule and one rule only, not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they, and they broke that one rule. And so what did, what did God say? He says, in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die, right? Now, the reason why I go through this narrative often in my sermons is because I really want us all of us to have that gospel message down pat. I really want us to know that if someone says, what's the essence of the Bible? You can just start going through that short narrative really quickly here because it it really captures the entire, what the main goal of the Bible is. So we have that there was creation, right? And then there was sin, right? And then there was redemption. And then now we're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And then there's eternity. If you get those concepts down, then you just kind of understand the entire the scope of the scriptures here. So what does the Bible teach about this idea of mercy? Well, it started back in the garden, right? When God said, in the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. You know that that's when death entered into the world. They didn't die immediately in that moment in an act of mercy, right? Because grace was coming. And so God didn't give them the punishment that they truly deserved, right? What does the Bible teach about our sin against God? As he says that it's deserving of death. Romans chapter 6, right? Romans chapter 6, maybe some of you are thinking that verse right away when I said this. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin or the payment of sin is death, right? And we're not talking about just physical death. We're talking about spiritual death. We're talking about eternal separation from God. And and this is what the scriptures teach, right? And so if we're going to truly understand mercy, then there's really a couple points about this that we have to have down. Number one, is that if we're going to understand the concept of mercy in the Bible, we have to accept our guilt. That's the first thing, okay? We have to accept our guilt. If we don't think we're guilty, we're not really going to understand mercy, okay? So the first thing is, is that we need to accept that we truly are guilty before God. Now, when I talk to people, a lot of times, you know, most Christians, they're not going to tell me that they're not guilty before God, right? They're going to say, yeah, of course I'm guilty before God. Of course I've sinned, right? Everyone has sinned. And so you say on one hand, well, on one level, well, of course, yeah, that's an easy one. Got it. Move on to number two, Jeremy. Well, let's hang on a second here, okay? And the reason why is because while we can admit that we're not perfect, 
that is not the same as truly embracing our guilt. Okay? So how many times has it been like, you know, well, everyone else is doing this, or you know, how many times have, have, a, have, have a, has a child said that? Maybe for those of you who are parents, maybe you've had a child say that, right? And say, well, you know, the whole class was doing it. And then what is your real response, right? Well, if your whole class was jumping off a bridge, would you do it, right? You know? And then when your kid says, yeah, then you realize you got to go back a few steps, okay, <laughs> right? But the whole idea is that you don't care really about, well, yeah, it's not, it doesn't matter about the whole what everyone else is doing. What about you? What about you? You see, we can understand and we can embrace or admit to our imperfections, but do we truly embrace the guilt of our sin before God? That's if we haven't done that, then we don't understand mercy. Okay, so that's the first part. So there's two parts. Number one, accept our guilt. Number two is that we have to agree with the just punishment to it. Okay, we have to agree with whatever the a punishment is that is actually just for the crime. Okay, and so if we're truly going to understand mercy, we have to understand that, yeah, we're guilty for the crime. And number two, that there is a just punishment that I truly actually deserve. This is where the rubber meets the road for a lot of people who grew up in church is that while we understand that the Bible teaches hell, while we understand that the Bible teaches that if, if, you know, apart from Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, that we would have an eternity in hell, how many of us truly believe that that is what we actually deserve? I mean, in your, in your you know, I see one person raise your hand, and I still appreciate that, a couple. You know, but, but, but for a lot of people, if we really say and we really nail down, I just want to really think, through, do you truly believe that that is actually what you deserve? Now, many of you, maybe that's the case. Maybe you, maybe not. You see, this is where if we're truly understanding mercy, we have to have those two things in mind. So let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that you were walking down the street and you're walking down Main Street here and all of a sudden uh, a police car, Verona PD, puts its lights on next to you. And then you kind of look in, and he rolls the window down, and he's like, pull over, okay? You're like, well, I'm walking, pull over. So you take a step over, and he gets out, and he says, you know how fast you were going? And you're like, uh, no? Well, you are going too fast, so I'm going to have to give you a citation for speeding, okay? Now, your mind is spinning at this point, right? You're going, what is going? You're looking for hidden cameras. You're looking for something that this has got to be some, you know, prank or something like that. He's dead serious. He's dead serious. He writes you a ticket for speeding down Main Street while walking, okay? So you take this ticket, and then you say, but sir, I, I, there's no way that I deserve this ticket. And he's like, you can go to court and fight it if you want, okay? Well, so what do you do? You show up in court, right? Okay, now you're up there and you're standing for the judge and the judge says, okay, well, tell me, tell me what happened here. And he said, well, I was walking down the street and the police officer says I needed to step to the side and he gave me a ticket for speeding. And I, I, I mean, this is crazy, right? And the judge says, well, you know what? I'm feeling pretty merciful today. So instead of jail time, you can just pay the fine. You're going, where, what reality am I living in right now, right? And everything. And he says, well, hey, you just are not appreciating the mercy of the court here. And you're saying, no, there is no mercy because, number one, I'm not guilty. Number two, this punishment is ludicrous for it, right? You see, in, in that situation, you're not embracing mercy at all because it's just not there because you don't think you're guilty and you don't think the punishment fits the crime. So in order for us to truly understand God's mercy, we have to truly embrace that, yes, I am guilty of this. And it wasn't walking too fast down the street, right? It was that we violated God's commands, right? That we were born sinners and we sinned against God. And 
there's guilt associated with that, and the just punishment is eternal separation. We have to embrace that, okay? And so if we, get, if we understand what we truly deserve, then that brings up, okay, now this helps us understand what this text is teaching here. So in the text here, blessed be the God of fathers, this is verse 3, according to his great mercy, okay? This is the reason why I've spent a lot of time talking about mercy this morning. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the concept of mercy is that we have to accept our guilt and we have to understand what is a just punishment. Once we do that, then we can move on to point number two, and that is understanding the blessings of mercy. It's not until we truly understand the concept of mercy and that what the Bible actually teaches about it and the reality of it, that we're truly going to be even affected or moved by the blessings of mercy. And what does the Scriptures teach here? The Scriptures teach that the first of all, and I'm going to move to this fairly quickly here, is that uh, born again, right? Did you see that in the text there? It says, according to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again here. Have you ever wanted to hit reset have you ever wanted to power cycle your life? <laughs> you know, like, man, there's something going on. I just wish we could just start this over again. You ever feel that way? Well, look at what the scriptures teach. That according to God's mercy, he says, you don't get a reset. You don't get a power cycle. You get a whole new life. Okay? You are, you are born again. Images of, or, or memories of John 3 should be coming to our mind right now, right? When Nicodemus is like, you know, uh, and Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, wait a minute here, how is that possible? I'm an old man, my mother's dead, you know, how is that possible? And Jesus is like, no, no, no we're talking about a spiritual rebirth here. You see, one of the, the greatest blessings of God's mercy is that he not just says, okay, try again. He says, I'm giving you a whole new life, being born again. You're totally a new life with new affections and new goals and new purposes, new power. Everything's new. You, you don't have to live according to the old path anymore. You, you're, you're a new creature. Remember what, what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation, right? Old things are passed away, but all things have become new. That doesn't mean we don't struggle with the old stuff anymore, but it just says that we don't have to live according to it. This is Romans chapter 6. So if you read through Romans 6, you'll see that no longer do we need to struggle against the things that we struggled with before. So we're born again here. This is one of the blessings that comes from mercy. It's more than just a restart. It's more than just a power cycle. It's a, it's a whole new life. But it's not just being born again. It's born again to a living hope. Did you see that in the text? They're born again to a living hope. Now, hope in, in the Bible, it, it, it really is not, and I know I've mentioned this before, it's not talking about like the, oh, I wish, and you know, you know maybe this is going to happen. No, hope in the Bible is, is a settled confidence in something that just hasn't happened yet okay, that you know it's happening, but it just hasn't happened yet. So in today's world, right, it's, you know, tax day, right? It's coming. You know it's coming, right? It's going to be here. Yeah, you know, you can just count on it. And, and in some ways, and this is a really bad example, we hope for tax day, <laughs> right? Okay, all right? 
we hope in the sense that we know it's coming, okay, that it's already happening. Now, we're not looking forward to it, but we know that it's coming. The same thing's true is that we are actually born to actually a good hope, not a tax day. We're, we have a, a living hope. It is, and it's not just one uh, um, um, uh, conceptual idea or esoteric idea or something like that. This is, this is a living hope. That, that adjusts to life circumstances with us, right? And, 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 and when I say adjust, I'm not saying that it changes. I'm saying that it makes itself relevant to the changing of life circumstances. what I mean by changing with it. And so this hope that we have in Christ, this hope of, of, of what Christ is going to do for us and what he is doing for us is actually a living hope. It's not something that, you know, it's just mentioned one time and then just hope for the best. No, this is something that we should be experiencing each day. So we're born again. This is the blessing of mercy that we, when we embrace and understand mercy, we know that it's according to his mercy that God has given us this born again to a living hope. And, and why is it a living hope? Because it says in the text there, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The greatest, the most powerful thing that we can constantly think of is death, right? I mean, this is the, this is the thing that, that is, is certain and this is powerful. No one can escape it, right? Is we have death here. But Jesus Christ, he conquered sin and death, according to the scriptures. In his resurrection, when he rose again, he says, death has no power over me. Is what he said. I am completely free from that. And so if this is the greatest power that is threatening all of us, right, that, that, has, has no, that no one can escape, but Jesus says, I have conquered it, and he, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if he's conquered all this, then what do we fear? If he's conquered the worst of, of possible that we could ever deal with in terms of being uh, held accountable for our sins on the cross, and he, or our sins, and he, and he took care of that on the cross, if he took care of that, then we could, and we should be, of all people, the most joyful, right? Because we have this living hope. But I understand this difficult. Believe me, I do. Believe me, I do. I understand the moments of discouragement. I understand the low moments, right? I get it. I live them with you. I tell you, I preach sermons I need to hear, right? Okay? And so I understand that. But it's, I'm just letting you into a window into my soul. In those moments, when I'm feeling really discouraged or really frustrated with myself or anything else, it's a passage like this that God uses to give me hope. Because when I go back to this and I say, listen, God's been merciful to me. God's been very, very merciful to me. And he's given me a living hope. Through what Christ did, I, I can have joy, even if my circumstances are bad. Even if I would write the script differently right now, whatever that is, if you're in one of those moments, you can have a living hope because it's through the resurrection. So we have born again, born again to, living, to a living hope. But then there's one more aspect of this. Born again to a living hope that leads to an inheritance. And so we see this in the text again. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
And so we have this inheritance that we are waiting for, that we are going to receive if we're believers in Christ. If we truly understand the mercy of God, okay, and God's mercy has been shown on us, and, and, and we're believing in God, and, and we understand we don't deserve this, and we're appreciative of His grace and accepting of His grace. Listen, here's the thing, is that, that we have an inheritance that we're looking forward to. And even if Today's world and today's circumstances, wherever you find yourself may be, is difficult. God's mercy, and His mercy and grace is infused into this. He gives us an inheritance. You see, we, we don't deserve a future inheritance. His mercy says we deserve, I mean, you know, our sin says we deserve judgment. His mercy says you're not getting what you deserve. But his grace says, I'm giving you something else. This is this wonderful inheritance. And look how Peter describes this. And I don't think Peter intended, by the inspiration for us, to dissect every word on this. I think he was trying to give this this total um, uh, just understanding of trying to give these descriptors of this. I will talk about them for a quick second here, but I, I, I don't think that, you know, you should look at this word and how is it different than the next word and this word. And there's overlap in them, and I think that that's part of the, what he's trying to communicate here is like all this stuff. This is, this is the inheritance that you're getting. This isn't, this isn't just, you know, uh, uh, a 50 cent inheritance here. This is an inheritance that is beyond your imagination here. He says it's imperishable here. The idea there he's talking about is permanent. What do you have in life that is truly permanent? Did you ever think about that? What do you have that is actually truly permanent in your life, right? I mean, even permanent marker comes out eventually, right? Okay? Okay. Really, honestly, we don't really have anything that's truly permanent in our life. In fact, in fact we, we, we always assume that what we have is not going to last. We, we assume that the car we have now, we're going to replace it one day, right? Or, or, uh, or, or whatever the clothes that we wear, we assume that we're not going to wear them any longer, maybe because of sizing, maybe because of style, maybe because of a combination of the both, whatever, it doesn't matter. But we assume that we're not going to keep wearing the same clothes over and over again in 30, 50 years, right? Now, some of you maybe are proving me wrong on that. I don't know. But the idea is that nothing is permanent in this life that we really have. But Jesus here, by, or, or Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying we have an inheritance that is imperishable. It's per- permanent. You're not going to lose it. Now think about that. How many people have had an inheritance, but because of falling out, got written out of the will and lost their inheritance? How many times has that happened in history? Ours is permanent. There's no falling out. Because it's not based on merit. It's based on what Christ has done. It's based on His mercy. It's permanent, imperishable. Um, undefiled, this idea of pure, okay? It, it's, it's, it's absolutely pure. How many times have we heard someone who have gotten an inheritance, maybe a lot of money, that they got an inheritance and it actually ruined their lives, right? Because they couldn't handle the wealth and mismanaged it and everything, and it actually ruined their lives. You see, the inheritance that we have, it, it's, it's totally pure. It's not going to have any negative effect on us at all. Unfading, this term is only u- unique, it's unique to Peter here, um, we only find it in First Peter here. Um, and it's basically, I think, all he's trying to communicate with this 
is that it not only is it permanent, as we said, and imperishable, but it, it, it never even fades. It never even loses any of its glory at all. It may be permanent, but fades a little bit in some cases. Not the inheritance. The inheritance is, un, is unfading. And then uh, it says he's, it's kept in heaven, right? It's guarded in heaven or kept in heaven for us. And so this is safe. It's perfectly secure. It's this idea of it, it's guarded. It cannot be lost. And so when we understand that mercy shows that God has given us and he's, he's taken away what we don't deserve, and then that leads us into this wonderful uh, uh, um, inheritance that we have, really, this should cause us to be joyful people. This should cause us to say, well, wait a minute here. It doesn't matter with everything that's going on in the world. It doesn't matter with work situations. It doesn't matter with family situations. It doesn't matter with all those things. Because, listen, this is what God has done for us. He's done this as a tremendous act of mercy. And so the question comes, what's distracting you from this? One of the things we're going to be talking about, as I told you throughout this year, is subtract distractions. So, so what's distracting you from, from this, appreciating the inheritance? What's distracting you from relishing in the mercy of God? Nothing's worth it. Whatever it is, maybe today's the day you can just set that aside. Like we're saying, leave it at the foot of the cross. Because God in His mercy, He wants us to relish and enjoy this inheritance. I want to close, though, that there, and because I think in the text here, um, Peter gives us a warning of some sort. And uh, there's some threats against mercy. Okay, and, and you say, well, where do you get that, Jeremy? Well, look in the text here. It says, in this you rejoice. I'm in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So he's bringing up really the purpose of the book. The purpose of 1 Peter is he's writing to a group of people who are going through tremendous trials. And so what he's doing is he's bringing this up. He says, if it's necessary for you, because not everyone's going to go through it. Some of you are, some of you aren't. He says, there's going to be some trials that are coming into your life. And I believe that what he's doing there is he's, because this is right before, then he talks about this inexpressible joy in verse 8. I believe that what he's doing here is he's trying to raise this awareness of trials because he's saying, this is not the threat against your joy. It feels like it is. We often make it a threat against it, but he says, this is truly not the threat against joy. Because how does he talk about this? Verse 7, so that, this is the reason why they've got the trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, this is why Paul could write over and over again that he, we rejoice in trials. This is why Paul, in prison, could talk to the Philippians and say that he rejoiced about things that were happening in his life. This is the reason why he could do it, because he was seeing beyond the circumstance, and he was seeing that the circumstance was simply a tool of God for good. We talked about it last week, remember? Purging versus pruning, right? And so it's this idea of, 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 of trials not being the true threat against our joy, because it really is used of God for our joy. 
so that we see what God is doing in our lives. We see how his work is on display. How many, we would not have a greater, as great of an appreciation for God and his power if it were not for the presence of trials in our lives. It's just simply true. The adversity, you know, we would not uh, understand the, um, uh, we would not understand what God has done for us if we did not feel the sinful effects of living in this world at all. And so the, the struggles that we have, the difficulties that we have, those are all used by God really to give us greater joy in Him. And the moment is tough. In a moment, it's difficult. I get it. But it isn't a threat to our joy. So you say, well, if it's not trials, what is the threat to our joy then? I want you to just look through this passage with me real quickly here. In verse 5, it says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Verse 7, So that the tested genuineness of your faith. And then the end of the section of verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, salvation of your souls. Do you see how that over and over again in this text, Paul's, I mean, excuse me, Peter is going back to faith. He's saying, this, we got to believe in God. We, we just got to put our trust in Him and our hope in Him. This is, this is what the outcome of your faith is, salvation of your souls. So if you say, if trials aren't the threat against joy, what's the true threat? It's unbelief. It's unbelief. This is what he's pushing us towards here by writing here. He's he's reminding us to be people who are truly believers. And so we need to guard our hearts against doubting whether or not God truly is merciful or God truly is gracious or truly is wise. And one of the ways that this often happens in when we get mixed up, I, ta- I started the sermon, I ended it with this, where I started the sermon with uh, explaining two theological terms, grace and mercy. And if we mix those up, it can lead us into some misunderstanding. Let me close this with two other theological terms that are very, very important. And when we often, if we mix those up, this is what really uh, takes joy away from our life. And that is the terms of justification and sanctification. And you be really cautious about these terms. And you say, well, man, these are, that's, these are big theological terms. I'm not really interested in this theological jargon. So, no, no, no. I'm not trying to just give you theological jargon. What I'm trying to do is teach you what the Bible says, that you under, need to understand those categories. Because if you don't understand the categories and you're living your life in one category or the other, it's going to lead to a lot of frustration and, and, and disappointment in your life. Okay? Justification is what the Bible teaches of as that we are being declared not guilty from our sins. So it's very similar to mercy in that respect, okay? So that it says that we have been justified in the sense that we are no longer accountable for the sins that we committed because of what Jesus did on the cross, okay? Now justification happens instantaneously upon uh, a belief in Christ and our conversion, okay? It's not a process. Justification is basically when someone's justified, it's how God sees that person, whether they're guilty or whether they're guilty but covered by Christ's blood, okay? So that's the key there. It's one time, there it is. Sanctification, on the other hand, let me back up to justification real quick. That is our eternal 
standing with God. That's taken care of. That means that we are part of God's family. That means that we're going to have the inheritance when we are justified. That's through faith. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, if you're taking notes. That tells us about what we're justified by faith, okay? That's justified. Sanctification or sanctified, on the other hand, that's more of our life on this earth. You see, God has a purpose for our lives, and it's more than just to save us from hell. How do I know that? Because if our only purpose was to save us from hell, the moment we believe, we'd be evacuated, we'd be gone, there's no more purpose in life. But the fact that we're still here shows that we still have a purpose that God has for us, and that's to live this life according to good works. You say, well, no, wait a minute here. Wait a minute here, Jeremy. Are you talking good works here? Yes, I am. Because Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and it's not as yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. But a lot of times verse 10 is left out. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Okay? So the purpose that we have been justified is so that we would be people who are living lives of good works, not for our glory, but for the glory of God, and to point people to God, right? And showing obedience to Him. This is how we know that Jesus says, people know if you're my disciples, if you obey my commandments. This is the sanctification process. Now the problem is, we don't do that perfectly. You and I still have sin natures, right? We still sin every day, okay? The problem is if we are looking as our, in our sanctification process as the way in terms of justification, of being accepted by God, we're not going to have any joy. If we think in this process of living the Christian life and we're failing and we strive and we fail and we think, okay, my justification is gone. Now, you may not be thinking in those terms, but if you think, okay, God's upset with me. God's angry with me. God doesn't like me anymore. God doesn't want me in his family anymore. What you have just done is you have taken the process of sanctification and you've thrown it over into justification. And justification says nothing can change that. True justification, what the Bible teaches, the Bible is very clear. Jesus says no man can snatch you from my Father's hand, and that includes you, okay? And so this is the point. As we're living this this Christian life, let's just make sure that we're, we're, yes, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be struggles and things like that. But that does, not accept, that does not affect our standing before God if we're truly believers in Christ. And when we mix those up, it leads to a life of lack of joy, a, lack of, uh, a life of incredible frustration, because we're constantly trying to earn God's approval. We're constantly trying to get Him to like us. And God has said, that's done. That's justification. I'm just trying to make you better. And I love you so much. You know, I... I, I've, I've coached basketball teams before. I'm coaching my son's basketball team right now, and, and we just meet on Saturdays. It's great. And I remember the, one of the first times I coached, well, it wasn't the first time I had coached high schoolers before. And uh, then I, uh, this was years before we had children. I, I uh, wanted to meet people in the community and things like that, maybe have some windy snap opportunities. And so I signed up to coach in a YMCA league. And I remember sitting in the coaches' meeting, and they said, who have you coached before? I said, I coached high school and, and all that. And they're like, okay. And I uh, said, so that would be, I preferred the older kids, the better in that and everything. They're like, great, no problem, put that down. Older kids, better, Jeremy Scott, got it, done. So I get my assignment, two weeks later, I'm coaching four-year-olds. Okay, I don't know if you've ever coached four-year-old basketball players before, but it is, it's a different world, let me tell you. It's a completely, completely different world, right? Okay, so... 
Um, the problem is, is that uh, sometimes they think and they confuse things. They think that they are uh, better than what they are, right? But what are they always trying to do the entire time? They're trying to impress their parents in the stands and their coach. And, and usually in that order, because they know if the coach doesn't give them playing time, the parents will talk to them, right? Okay, talk to the coach. Their entire existence was not about enjoying the game in a lot of ways. It's about trying to impress those in authority. And again, this is not universal because some four-year-olds just had a blast. But I'm saying I just noticed that, that they were constantly trying to find approval, and it was exhausting. They didn't even enjoy the game anymore. I wonder if sometimes we live our lives that way. Instead of just accepting that, and listen, as a coach, as a parent, it didn't matter what these kids did. I mean, they, they, I was just saying, good job, great, everything. I accepted them as, as part of my team, and it was, it was awesome. I didn't care. I didn't care about that stuff because I knew where they were at. But in their mind, constantly feel like they had to prove something, and it ruined the game for them. What if we live our lives that way sometimes? Constantly trying to get God to like us. Can I just tell you a secret? Because of Jesus, he loves you. So that should just cost us so much joy in our lives. When we know that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who created the world, spoke the world into existence, looks down at you and me, says, I love you. You don't have to prove yourself to me. I'm just bringing these things into your life so you become better. Not because I don't love you. So the concept of mercy is so important to us. And I had this other quote here that I don't have time to say. It's just the end of the text there. I don't have time to develop it. I'll just say it. It's possible to love uh, what we, I should say, what we have never seen and believe and what we cannot see today because of mercy. That is, verse 8, through, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith. Because of God's mercy, it's possible to love whom we have never seen and believe in who we cannot see today. So go back to mercy. Um, This is why Paul, as I mentioned before, could rejoice in prison because he truly believed that God was merciful to him as the chiefest of sinners. So it didn't matter what circumstances. That's what he wrote in Philippians chapter 4, right? I've learned in every situation to be content because he truly understands the mercy of God.